It is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another episode. Probably not the final one of the week, considering something over the weekend. Probably either late tonight or early Saturday off of those Friday playoff games. Again, those are at home. Wolves coming back down 0-2 in that series with Denver. Wild 1-1. Both teams losing on uh, on Wednesday night, and that's what I want to focus on here in just a minute. We'll also get to Nate Tice, podcaster and writer for The Athletic, covers a lot of draft stuff, also happens to be the son of former Vikings head coach Mike Tice. He will join me here in a little while to talk draft, to talk Mike Tice stories, to talk all sorts of good stuff. Really enjoyed that conversation with uh, with uh, Nate with Nate Tice. I hope you do as well in just a little bit here. Have some twins thoughts towards the end of the show and a little bit of extra Vikings draft context as well. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, I want to spend a little time on the Wolves and Wild at the beginning of the show. I know I did a fair amount of that already on Thursday's show with Chip Scoggins. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, that came to you very late or early, depending on when you listened after that. Uh, after they both lost on Wednesday. Um, I want to give you some some perspective from what I see it, how both of these teams can rebound from Wednesday, what both of them need to do in order to win their respective Game 3s, and a lot of you know, different things at stake here. The Wolves lose this game. The series is ostensibly over. I, I mean, I know they could still win Game 4, you know, salvage some sort of pride, but any any sort of getting into the series certainly requires winning Game 3 on Friday. The Wild... Feels like this is a pivotal game, but not a a do-or-die game in the same vein. They could still be okay as long as they won Sunday. But this is really where both teams want to take care of business, especially after some things went sideways for them on Wednesday. For the Wolves, let's start there. Things they need to lean into and things they must do to win this Game 3. And I, I, I preface this by saying... I don't think maybe we've talked enough in this series about how much they miss Jaden McDaniels and Naz Reed to an extent as well, but specifically Jaden McDaniels because this is a team, A, that that when they can play big, they really thrive. They're, one of their best three-man lineups this season was Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anderson, and Jaden McDaniels at the at the 5, 4, and the 3. That lineup played 762 minutes together and had a net rating of 9.7, plus 9.7. That's points per 100 possessions that they were up with those three guys in the lineup. They obviously don't have that luxury. Jaden McDaniels punched a wall at the end game 82 of the regular season, has been out ever since then with broken bones in that punching hand. So, we know that he's not going to play, so they have to kind of get beyond that. But I do think it's it's important to state the obvious that they certainly miss him and Nasri because this is a team that, maybe this sounds like an oxymoron, but they have good depth when people are healthy. And what I mean by that is they have a strong kind of 1 through 9, 1 through 10 when everybody's healthy, and there's a pretty significant drop-off, at least in the playoffs, when you start dealing with some injuries. I think Jalen Noel's been okay in spurts but they just don't have much beyond seven players right now that they really trust in these in these big moments you know they got some good minutes during the regular season from Nate Knight uh, some Austin Rivers moments some uh, some Luca Garza moments things like that those are not guys that you were going to put out there in the playoffs for any kind of sustained amount of time that's just not so their bench is built in a certain way they're not built to withstand too many injuries. They are built to have a strong 1 through 10, not necessarily a strong 1 through 12 or strong 1 through 15. So keeping that in mind, I feel like this is important as as context, but 
with that in mind, they need to lean into the lineups that have worked for them. And one of the lineups that has worked for them throughout the year includes um, Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, and Kyle Anderson. We need to see more of those three together. Um, they haven't been great in this series, but during the regular season, 815 minutes, a 6.6 positive net rating for those three when they are together. It's really the Kyle Anderson lineups that you will see is a theme of their best lineups. Now, I do feel, though, that saying that is an acknowledgement that Carl Anthony Towns is not playing well and that a lot of their best lineups do not include Carl Anthony Towns. And that maybe is a question for the offseason, is a bigger question for another day. But I think that there's two things at play here. One, they need to lean into their best lineups. Two, they absolutely need to get more out of Carl Anthony Towns, who's only scored 21 combined points in these two games, is turning it over too much, is not making the easy play like Chris Finch says. The ball tends to stop with him. He's not going to the basket right away when he gets it. He seems unsure of himself, and whether that's because of who's playing with him, whether that's his own tentativeness, whether that's nervousness, I don't know what it is, whether it's just all the games he missed this year. Whatever it is, they need a combination of A, more from Towns, and B, don't be stubborn. Play the lineups that work for you and deal with the consequences of whose feelings might be hurt later. Now, the Wild, their mission is a little bit more simple. Stop overthinking this. Philip Gustafson is your goalie. Do not deviate from that script. That was the big story from Game 2. Marc-Andre Fleury, a playoff veteran, three Stanley Cups. I get it. I get that he's got a pedigree, but my my goodness. Uh, you know, Philip Gustafson's 51 saves in his debut. Last year, they stuck with Fleury too long. This year, Gustafson wins Game 1, and they go to Fleury in Game 2. I don't get it. I'll never understand it, but if we can move past that, if they can move past that, win game three, then a lot of that chatter will be forgotten. Maybe there'll be a rhyme or reason to it once they get to game four, game five, game six. Maybe we'll understand that it was maybe for the best. I don't think we're ever going to get to that point, but maybe they can paper over that mistake if they can get back on track in game three. Part of that to me, though, remains staying out of the penalty box it remains kind of winning this kind of battle of physicality without you know without the stars diving and taking so many penalties things like that and part of it may, might mean a return to health for them too Joel Eriksson-Eck drawing in in game 3 if he's able to do that would be a huge boost kind of reunites that second line gives them a little bit more momentum there gives them that second kind of sh- gives them that shutdown center gives them a lot that they've been missing when he's out he he totally changes their lineup if he is able to play Friday and there's no guarantee he's going to do that but if he's able to play Friday or at least at some point in this series that could turn things if and when he returns so both these teams need to lean into their strengths get back to doing what they do and the wild in particular need to stop overthinking this don't try too hard it's simple Philip Gustafson has been your best goalie all season long he was one of the best goalies in the NHL all season long he's got to be a net for game three he's got to be a net for game four stop messing around and stop overthinking it take a playcation to Mystic Lake with 24-7 gaming the good times never have to end and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms those that play together stay together And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I'm excited to be joined right now by Nate Tice, um, staff writer with The Athletic, does a lot of NFL draft stuff, does a lot of podcasting, uh, life journeyman, according to his uh, his, uh, Twitter bio, and uh, the son of former... 
Vikings head coach Mike Tice. Um, so I'm hoping he'll um, behoove uh, behoove me to ask you some <laughs> stories about uh, about the about your dad. As long as I've got you here, but uh, Nate, how you doing? Welcome. I'm doing very well. Yeah, uh, kind of a life nomad, life journeyman that spent a little time in Minneapolis. So I get that kind of one of us you know, credibility yes. that the, the people in the twin cities love. So I get to, I get to check a lot of boxes. It, it really helps living in Vegas now. Cause no one, not a ton of people are from here. Yeah. A lot of people are running away from something. So I, I move here <laughs> and I talk to people and someone's like, Oh, I've been here for three years. Where are you from? New York. Oh, parents are from New York. Oh, where are you from? Seattle. Oh, I was born in Seattle for me. It's great. But yeah. because no one really is from here. So no, no, I'm happy to be here. So thank, thank you for having me on. And you do have the Wisconsin football helmet, of course, in the background. Yes. Yes, I know. I uh, after I committed to Wisconsin, I uh, or not South, so I was transferring there. I went to Bunnies, of course. Yeah, in, in St. Yeah. Louis Park. You, you went, went there. Your, your dad was probably there. Yeah, actually, it wasn't my mom though. Was. Okay, the part the parking spot was no longer there. Uh, we he actually owns that. I think he has it hung up in his basement here. Okay, um, but the uh, I get there and one of the longtime bartenders there. His name is Crazy Johnson, and he just he just looks at me. He goes, "Frickin' Badger." And that's always said to me. And I'm like, I swear he's still mad to me, mad about it to this day, like 14 years later. But oh yeah, I went to Wisconsin and went to the other side, the dark side. Like, sorry for living my life. Well, you know, <laughs> it's uh, well, I want to talk to you about a lot of different stuff, but you're, you're like in the throes of NFL draft, you know, write ups, videos, coverage, and you've been, you're into this way deeper than I am. I, you know, I'm, I'm on the, I'm kind of on the on the periphery of it because I do a whole bunch of different sports. Yeah. But you know, as you think about this year's draft, think about the kind of the quarterbacks at the top of the board. You think about just what's been what what's been evaluated so far. Is there I mean, is there any kind of consensus or kind of idea of, of how of how you would kind of say this this is the overriding sentiment about 2023? Uh, this draft, how I've kind of gone about describing it because I can't think of another synonym phrase for this is it's the eye of the beholder draft. Uh, There's lack of consensus at any position other than running back. Uh, B. John Robinson is everybody's running back one. If you look at every other position, there's little consensus. There's a lot of, oh, I like this about it. There's a lot of blemishes. I would say it's not a seriously top heavy draft, even if there might be four quarterbacks to go in the top 10. Uh, there is maybe about eight to 10 true first round graded guys, which is always something that you have to remember. A guy might go in the first round, but teams might not have a first round grade. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but just bear with me here. That's how it kind of goes. No, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. There's a limited, yeah. Limited resources, supply and demand, all that. And so every position that you look at quarterback, uh, receiver, offensive line, defensive line, even guys that were the consensus at the beginning of this process, like a Jalen Carter, who a lot of uh, from Georgia defensive tackle, a lot of guys had him that's like, oh yeah, easy number one. And now there's been some off field stuff that's cropped up. And now there's some uh, work ethic concerns and, and play style com- concerns that also no one had an issues with four months ago. And now they do. Uh, so that's just the draft cycle. It's the silly season. And so you see people making the arguments about blemishes or stuff they like with all these players. And you can believe them. It's it's really you can make an argument for a lot of these guys at different positions, and I understand them. So that that's a good synopsis of this. That there's little consensus. Uh, the the consensus is that there's little consensus about yeah. this draft. Really, that's how to go about it. Why do mock drafts keep? Why do mock drafts change so much? Why is the, is part of it just so you keep reading the next version, or do do people really change their evaluations so much between 
early March and end of April? Um, I think there's more information that gets brought out there. You know, certain people that are in the know, I, I would drop the name Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network and yep. even Dane Brugler from The Athletic, who both do a fantastic job. Both of them have, you know, have their sources. So they might kind of, you know, they might drop a name in there and then they just go, I don't know, I could see it, but they really might know a little something, something. I don't want to speak for them, but I'm just yeah, seeing yeah. the process of that. And also there, yeah, uh, people get exposed to more positions. Um, free agency happens. That's another thing too. So holes get filled and so needs change and, you know, other things get dropped in. Uh, there, it's just information changes. And there is some, a little bit of, a, you know, the momentum of kind of what the discussions are with people. I would say a good example is like, Florida's Anthony Richardson, uh, the quarterback who I'm high on, but at the beginning of this process, he was going in the twenties yeah. and then more people watch film. And then now he's in the teens and then now he's in the top 10. It's just a narrative momentum. I think also a lot of coaches are getting exposed to these guys. So their inputs happening and they're starting to talk around the league. So that's why you see guys rise and fall and more players just get exposure. Um, it's a lot of guys to watch. I I've watched the sexy positions, the offensive skill guys. I've watched the offensive line. I'm just now going through corners right now. Okay. And I've watched the top guys, but now I'm getting into the day two ish guys that are in the consensus there. So that is kind of what the process is. Just a lot of players to watch and more people get more information. You're talking about board risers. You're talking you mentioned Daniel Jeremiah. I don't know if it was his most recent mock, but it was just a couple of weeks ago. He was kind of at the forefront of the Hendon hooker to the Vikings, uh, thing that's become even more uh contagious lately i believe i believe um uh, todd mcshay also had him in a recent mock to the vikings what do you what do you think about that you don't have you don't have him at least in the latest version that i've seen from you You have them taking a corner which is certainly very uh very productive a very good idea for a team that doesn't have a lot of corners uh quarterback would be a lot more exciting a lot more uh a lot to invigorate the fan base kind of thing what do you make about the Vikings at 23? Why do we, why is there so much of this kind of the Hendon hooker thing? Is it, is it just people matching a need or do you think that they'd really like him? How do you, how do you see that piece shaking out with the Vikings? I think there is a little smoke, um, you know, that doesn't come out of nowhere. Cause it was at, yes. at the time it was out of nowhere, but then it's like, okay, all right. Why'd you do that? And uh, but also I think with hooker, I'm a, I'm a little lower on him than a lot of other people are. I have more of a middle round grade on him, meaning like, third, fourth round grade. Okay. I do have, just speaking of hooker, just speaking of the concerns, I understand maybe that thought process of what the Vikings are trying to do right now. Their decision makers uh, is, you know, they're trying to bridge two things right now, uh, quasi compete, but quasi rebuild and reload. competitive rebuild. They're called competitive it. rebuild. Uh, mm. Have the Vikings ever rebuilt? I feel like <laughs> not by design. <laughs> no, not by design. Right. <laughs> all the, all the bottom out years were because of things out of their hands. It wasn't yes. by design. It feels like they've always been right. in this world of the middle ground or above. Um, so that is, I think that's where it is, where it's like, that kind of makes a little bit of sense. There's the argument about the QB contract and, and how that can help give you more resources to spend sure. you know, free agency, all that. I, my art counter argument to that is the player has to be good though. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, just having a rookie quarterback contract is one thing, but you know, the guy actually has to be playable because there's nothing more uh, detrimental to a team's success. Just ask the jets than having a young quarterback that you're giving reps to. That is the worst opportunity cost that you can have in football. It is just that one position quarterback because they're on the field. Every play, you can't just go, yeah. Oh, rotate him in and let him you know, <laughs> right. let him get some experience. He's out there. <laughs> so 
good or bad. Uh, so I think that's what it is. They're trying to bridge that gap. I think there's a little smoke there, even if I don't agree with it. Uh, he's older, coming off a knee. The offense, of course, I just think that he has a more of a learning curve. And if you're saying that he's going to sit out the year behind Kirk Cousins, then he's a 26-year-old first. He's he's two years older than Jordan Love. He's, yeah. a, he, he's, he's an older guy. And if that rookie contract ends, he'd be 30 years old. Like that, that, that's why it's just, I can understand one part of it, but a lot of it is just hard for me to swallow or uh, condone. I think yeah. it's a good term I could use. <laughs> you think defense then corner makes the most sense or is that just positional value? Or how, how did you arrive at that in your, in your most recent mock? Yeah, there's a need there, a uh, dire need. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. last year playing 30 something year old Patrick Peterson and he did all he could, but you know, that was not, that's not a lot of fun uh, when you have limitations of what you can run on defense. I think with Brian Flores, the defense coordinator coming there, he loves a lot of pressures, a lot of man coverage. Um, He's a Patriot guy through and through runs the same stuff that Bill Belichick does, but Belichick has found corners at every spot undrafted guys, middle round guys. He's also taking a guy like Stefan Gilmore, who was in the first round. Uh, so it's not just saying like, oh, they'll patch it together. So I think just who they have. I like Byron Murphy, but, you know, he has injuries. That's a yeah. flyer type of contract. You know, backs are a, a back issues are a little scary uh, for any position, uh, especially one that uses athleticism like the corner position. So I think it's a huge need that they have what they also that is where a lot of corners were probably slotted to go. Um, there's I would say there's six guys that are kind of in the consensus right now. Uh, to go in the first round and right middle teens is kind of when I think a run on corners is going to happen. So it kind of made a lot of sense, the pairing of the player, the position, the need, and also just kind of how I thought the draft would break down. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, sometimes a run works in your favor. Like there was a run on receivers around the time they took Justin Jefferson <laughs> right. in 2020. There was also a run on receivers in 2016 when they took Laquan Treadwell. So it's it's not always um, not always wise to get in on that run. You have to have a certain amount of conviction about the player, I suppose. And yes, for a team that went 13 and four, they've got an awful lot of needs. Right. And that's what happens. That's kind of the bad thing about overplaying or outplaying what your point differential was last yes. year. And, and, you know, being more of a 500 team that won double digit games. I know that's not much of a difference. One or two wins is double digits to 500, but still, and getting that kind of playoff seed, but that, I know speaks to what Kevin O'Connell did and what they slapped together last year. And they, you know, when you have good players like Justin Jefferson, it sure helps to kind of make some plays for you when it matters. But that is, that's kind of like, that was the detriment of what happened last year is that as opposed to maybe competitively losing and getting like the 10th pick or, you know, the 12th pick, the 11th pick, you're picking a little later. And one positive I will say is that this class only having 10 ish true first round guys, there's a lot of kind of, picks between 10 and 50 going to be not much tier difference between the players. And I think that is one good thing about maybe being competitive last year and then going into this year with this draft class. But yeah, they're trying to sat, they're trying to straddle two things right now. And I, I don't, I don't, I feel bad for them because it's, it's hard. It's hard because you want to win, but you also want to be like, well, my contract's five years. I want to win in three years as well. As right. opposed to just year one and year two. Right. Yeah, that's true, and they and they don't have a second round pick, so yeah, they're they're in an interesting position. I could yeah. imagine them just based on what Quayse Dofomensa did in his first draft. You could imagine them trading down. You could imagine mm-hmm. them trying to get more picks, especially as if you say there's not a lot of maybe not a lot of difference to a certain degree between eleven and fifty. If you, um, right. but everybody else knows that too. So how do you how do you exactly. kind of make how do you manage that? 
Yeah, you try to dangle some players that you know other teams like. Yes. Man, wow, we really like this corner too. You, <laughs> I know you like the corners too. Oh, wow, yeah. we really like this guy. Are you sure? You sure? No, but that I think that is trading back, but that's it takes two to tango. Yeah, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of teams looking to trade back, especially where the Vikings are picking. Um, and so that that's the thing is having more picks in the on day two would be ideal, an ideal outcome for this, or even pushing to next year. But yeah, that that's what's that's what's tough is that you always have to find two to tango and also make the deal so that you quote unquote win the trade. Otherwise, there's going to be some uh, backlash about that as well. Dissecting the film, I mean, we all we all watch the games. I watch a little bit of film, but you're doing it constantly like i imagine there's there's got to be just kind of it's got to be a a complicated process i know you're looking for certain things but like differentiating between certain college players in particular like how are you how are you able to kind of like tier guys or categorize guys when you're when there's such a such a fine line imagining between a lot of these guys uh a mental rolodex uh i've been very uh i've been blessed to be around the game for a long long time and and just I can recall guys from my teenage years, you know, Mowelde Moore, guys like that. Nate wow. That is yeah. a name. That's a good uh, name. Yeah. Like even like a guy like Jalen Carter uh, from Georgia <laughs> that I compared him, like I haven't actually, I haven't dropped this take anywhere, but I've compared him to Kevin Williams. Uh, okay. I think that's his upside at least. I mean, having an all decade player, potentially <laughs> yeah. a future hall of famer is a great upside to have. Um, but I, I've seen, you know, that helps me just having in my teens being exposed to a lot. Um, I also was able to, you know, I was a scout with the Falcons. So that helped me kind of how to be realistic about grading guys. Um, what I've noticed on um, as being part of the kind of the media now and being on draft Twitter a little bit more, being on Twitter overall a lot more is I see a lot of people fall in love for the outliers and the exceptions. Sure. Um, when you have to kind of look at historical comparisons and what, what has worked. Um, I also think that there is a positive for being useful, uh, that, uh, how many snaps can you play? Yeah. I think being a specialist player, not a kicker or punter, but like a, uh, a luxury player that only plays eight snaps, 12 snaps, not a lot of value to that, even if they are good snaps. And I think I always try to keep that in my mind because there'll be guys I'll fall in love with. And I'll be like, realistically, what is this guy? Oh, he's a slot only receiver. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense for some teams, but not all teams, but then you have to ding them. So I look for scheme-proof players that you know coaches can't screw up, um, that can go into any type of situation and produce, and then that's something I prioritize. And sometimes I might miss on a high upside player or a player that you know is a luxury player that outplays that and plays more snaps. But kind of you have to be realistic about what their outcomes are. And it, again, it helps that I've been exposed to seeing a lot of different kind of outcomes for these different types of players. So having something to rely on helps. I want to get back to that in a minute, but first I want to ask you something. I've I've seen a couple of different places, and this it seems so fundamental, but I've seen this kind of shift to like just the flat out number of reps a quarterback has had in high school and college being a not a absolute predictor, but being a maybe a tiebreaker, having such an outsized influence. It's like someone who's had to make the reads a certain number of times. It's almost like Malcolm Gladwell ask. It's like these are the guys that you're going to want on your team, as opposed to. Look at the struggles before he got hurt. Trey Lance has had like some of these guys who just haven't played as much. That that you can have all the raw ability in the world if you haven't had the reps, it's going to hurt you at a certain point. Or it can. yeah, yeah, and that that's and also it's not theory or not a projection. You know, it, yes. it's some guy some guys you see 
you like you're projecting you're like oh lucas van ness from iowa is, yeah. a, is a good comparison for this or a good uh example is you see yeah uh, like his middle outcome i guess you know high end outcome middle income low end outcome middle outcome is probably like you know could be a high-end role player but he has a high-end outcome that's like wow this guy has all the tools to be a legit top 10 pass rusher and so that's where you're trying to like usable reps, even if they have a low amount of plays like Anthony Richardson, I'll bring up from Florida is he only put, started, I think 13 games in his college career, maybe 14 yeah. and watching him is okay. There's some games. He only throws about 14 times. There's some games he throws about 20 times and you watch it and you have to figure out which reps are actually real in the NFL. Hmm. College football is his own beast, good and bad. Yeah. But there's some plays at certain positions. That's like, no one in the NFL runs that or no one in and, and you run that play twice a year. So I'm not going to use that type of that rep as something that translates. Um, it could be a bootleg for an offensive lineman. This is a play everybody runs, but I'm going to throw that play out because the offensive lineman's not doing anything. So yeah. you, you have to you kind of find those usable reps. That's like, okay, well, this guy was asked. I, I project this guy, Lucas Van Ness. I'll, I'll put, I'll say as one or uh, here, here's a better one. Will Anderson from Alabama, who okay. potential top 10 pick. He's aligned as a four eye a lot of times in Alabama's defense. That's the inside shade of the tackle. And he's asked to loop around the offensive tackle over and over and over again. That is not really conducive to his skill set, but that's what the scheme Alabama runs. Yeah. So, but then there's a couple of games like against Tennessee where he's asked to align wide and then right at the snap of the ball, go and just ears pinned back and just pass rush. And that is the ones where it's like, I'm going to translate that and use okay. those reps as opposed to the ones that's like, he might do that a couple times, but that's not going to be how he's used in the NFL. So you have to find kind of that what translates the best uh, for the next level. Did you know you wanted to stay in the game? I mean, growing up playing it, obviously being the son of an NFL head coach and NFL longtime position coach before that, did you know you wanted to be in this as you got older? Uh, I thought I was going to be a baseball player. Okay. Uh, and yeah, baseball is my first love. And then I kind of, when I had kind of hit a growth spurt in ninth and 10th grade and I was like, okay, this quarterback thing is pretty fun. You know, people seem to like the quarterback. Uh, and I kind of started like the game a lot more in high school. Um, I knew as soon as I hit into college, really senior, junior, senior high school too, was I didn't want to be part of the game in some way, shape or form. Uh, I will say that the the negative of the rise of my dad's career going, he went from player and a year later, he was a tight end coach for Denny green. Sure. I thought that was normal. And <laughs> I realized that's not normal. You have to work. You have to be a GA. You have to do all the grunt jobs. You don't just become a position coach overnight. And that, so that's something I had to learn. And even when I was a GA at Pitt uh, under Paul Christ, um, even my dad couldn't relate to that. My dad never coached college. My dad, you know, never was that GA, that quality control coach. He was instantly a position coach. So I couldn't sometimes rely on him, even though I thought I could, you know, I mean, my dad, sure. my biggest mentor is giving me yes. so much information. That's amazing. But he had no idea like what the GA does. Like he, he seriously didn't. And then not like knock my dad, but he was just like, I don't know. Uh, keep at it. <laughs> keep working hard. That's all I got. And so I, I knew I wanted to be around the game. I've never figured out what role exactly I wanted, whether I wanted to be a scout or a coach. I was lucky enough to be able to do both. Um, but I never, I just wanted to be around it. I love sports in general. Uh, I just knew I wanted to be around sports uh, and, and football ended up being the one um, and uh, now sports media has ended up being the career that really made a lot of sense because I get to talk about it and kind of share kind of my enjoyment of the game. And I love competition. I love figuring out things and I love figuring out how things work just generally in life. And so this is a way for me to do that. I, this 
That's why I always knew. I love competition too. Yeah. I'm just, I hide it really well, <laughs> but, <laughs> but my wife knows I'm a psychotic competitor and I just hide it really well. So that's, well, that's another part of why I wanted to be around the game. That's an outlet. It's an outlet for sure. Yes. A couple more things, uh, Nate, really enjoying this conversation. Nate Tice from the athletic. I mean, like we, we talked a little bit just about just now about, you know, growing up around the game, around your dad. Do you have any favorite stories, favorite memories? Just, I mean, he, he had a, a pretty amazing rise. Like all of a sudden, Denny gets fired, and he's the he's the head coach at the end of the 2001 season. Holds that job for four more years. A lot happened in those four years. Uh, we're not yeah. going to get into all that. <laughs> a but lot. Man, it was it was a wild ride, Nate. It was a wild Lo- ride. Loved being in high school for that. It was so <laughs> much fun. Loved so much fun being in high school because you know high school kids are really nice. You know they really <laughs> yeah. really know how to bite their tongue and not bring up stuff at the worst time. Right. Uh, no, but actually gave me a, a thick skin as I I've now, like I said, I'm on Twitter a bunch and, you know, when people t- take pot shots, I'm like, is that all you got? Uh, you know, I would say some of the fun, like memories I had is like, you know, the, the, the moon game, uh, the at Lambo was a lot of fun. Oh, sure. Um, you know, there's other, other moments, uh, I, I, the one, like, you know, being around Randy Moss, uh, my, you know, my, all my life, you know, as a high schooler and middle schooler and getting to compare players to that and watching how he competed every day and, or really not competed every day, but flashed the most athletic gifts I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's why I get really defensive when people try to compare people to him. I'm like, you, you didn't see Randy. You, you didn't understand that. But I saw, you know, th- those little stories kind of add up. I have to like kind of think of some like seeing, you know, it's small things like seeing Sean. We would do a throwing competition during special teams practice. Okay. Don Hills beating Dante Culpepper, uh, Gus Ferrat, and everybody in a bucket throwing contest. And then you got <laughs> Randy Moss. We're doing cross practice against the Chiefs. And Randy Moss is uh, catching a fade ball and landing on a guy's shoulders because he jumped so high. You know, those little, I know just in everyone, it's like Paul Bunyan tales, but I'm like, no, it actually happened. I, I was 14 and I remember it. Um, the Brock Lesnar, uh, experience, oh my God. I almost forgot you know, about that. Uh, I know I watched him, you know, he would practice before, you know, practices were easy for him because his cardio was so good. Sure. You know, he just had no, he was strong, but he had no, like he had leg strength, but not football leg strength. Yeah. You know, it was a different type of strength. And Every day, though, he would come out a half hour before practice, even maybe longer, and just work on drills with the assistant D-line coach at the time. And there's Sable, you know, <laughs> what standing there watching Brock Lesnar work out. And I'm just, you know, I'm 14, 15. I'm like, that's Sable. I was more excited about yeah. Sable than freaking Brock Lesnar. <laughs> um, you know, like those little stories add up. Brock Lesnar starting a fight, a brawl yeah. against the Chiefs and different yeah. meal yelling at my dad right in front of me and going, I'll never practice with you again. Uh, you know? <laughs> Just, uh, uh, my dad canceled practice one time. This is, uh, I think he's probably told the story, but it is one of my favorites is it's a Randy Moss story is okay. that he, so he, uh, you know, my dad ran tough training camps, you know, a lot of, a lot of padded practices. And then he had it. He asked the grounds crew to have the sprinklers turn on. Okay. And, uh, he, cause he said during warmups, turn them on that sprayed everybody. I'll act like I'm mad and I'll cancel practice. We're going to have a pool party. So <laughs> And so, you know, down in Mankato and he, where the sprinklers come on, it gets moss soaked, you know, he's just covered and he's, he's pissed. Yeah. And my dad's like, you know, coming, Oh, who did this? Who did this? You know what? It's been tough. Let's go to the pool. Practice is canceled. And everyone goes nuts. And when they go in there, so they start having, they have a, uh, a diving contest. Everybody okay. had to nominate someone from each position. Okay. And I'm seeing guys like, you know, I mean, these guys are the greatest athletes, you know, yeah. but, so they're doing stuff that's incredible, but there's Randy on the low board, just doing like perfect double twists. <laughs> he doesn't even make a splash. 
And so my dad asked me, he's like, like kind of jokingly, but he's like, is there anything you can't do? Like that's just, that's unbelievable. And Randy legit thought about it. And he was dead serious when he said this. And he goes, I can't play the piano. <laughs> and he was dead serious. He was actually had to think about what he, like can't, what he do. can't do. Yeah. What he can't do. It's amazing. Um, I know over time, I could probably think of more stories, but like as a kid, it's, it's a great experience when you get to grow up or, you know, around some great coaches and players, Dante throwing the ball 75 yards. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was normal, yeah. you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, but it was, it was, it was a great, uh, great upbringing, great childhood, even if it was a little stressful. Well, you joked. Let me end with this. You joked that you're turning into him more every day. I, I'm. I, he pops up on Twitter every now and then. He's not yeah. super active, but he's he's funny. He, he's funny with what he what he decides to tweet from from time to time. I assume he's doing well. He's doing great. He okay. uh, moved down here. I just had my firstborn, uh, my son, born in November. Oh, congrats! And my thank you. And my sister had her firstborn last July, so they were living near Seattle in a place called Belfair. Um, that was basically the third child. Uh, was that house that every summer that they spent back there. And I once they he retired and had to live there year round in the kind of the middle of nowhere. And anyone that knows my dad, my dad doesn't really do the middle of nowhere. He likes yeah. to be part of the action. Yeah. And um, I think after a year or two of that, they kind of, and once we, my, my wife got pregnant, my sister had her first that they're like, Hey, we're going to sell the house. And so he moved down here to Vegas and bought a place also in St. Louis where my sister lives. Okay. And it's been amazing. Um, this is the first time we've lived in the same city other than when we were working together in Oakland. Sure. Uh, so this is, it's been really, really cool to see kind of grandpa go at it and just be a total sweetheart, you know, in retirement, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable how he's changed in retirement and in his old age, but my parents are doing fantastic. They're, they're loving and living life like to the fullest. That's awesome. Um, I appreciate all of this, Nate, in the middle of your busiest time, taking some time out for uh, for this show. Great to, great to have a chance to catch up with you. Go back to the uh, draft prep work. I'm sure there's a lot more to nail down in the next handful of days, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll catch up again down the road. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Postscript to my conversation with Nate Tice. I'm going to write about this on Friday on the Randball blog as well, but the Vikings mock draft, a consensus mock draft of the Vikings is very hard to come by right now. Just looking at consensus big boards, NFL mock draft, database.com. Hendon Hooker right now is the consensus mock draft of the Vikings, but only a 9% popularity. That tells you that you know among among all the teams in the draft, that is the one of the lowest probabilities of one player being taken, even though Hendon Hooker shows up in the most mocks for the Vikings. There's a lot of other possibilities for them, where they pick, how much need they have. Hendon Hooker maybe being a reach at 23 tells you a little bit about where they're at right now. They could pick a wide receiver. They could take a corner. They could take a quarterback. They could go a different direction. They could take a pass rusher. There's a lot of different directions they could go because even for a 13-win team, this is a team with a lot of needs. They could also trade down. There's just They could also trade up. There's, there's so many possibilities for this team, and even if they stay at number 23, I feel like it's hard to get a handle on what they're going to do, and it's complicated, of course, by the fact that 23, you are at the mercy of the first 22 teams in front of you. You don't know how exactly how the board is going to unfold, and a lot of how the board unfolds at 23 depends it will 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 be a predictor of what you are able to do who you're able to take what direction you're going to go because positional values will change based on what other people are taking so i feel like this is a very hard vikings draft to get a handle on especially with that number 23 pick especially with all those needs so i think we're just gonna have to wait and see what's going to happen next week there's not a whole lot of predicting that can go on but the unpredictability and the volatility are also kind of fun 
Let's finish with the cooler. Twins smoked by the Red Sox. Double digits for the Red Sox in runs. Kenta Maeda hit on the leg by a line drive early in that game. Had to leave. We will see what kind of pitching depth they have now. Probably have to be some call-ups because they used a lot of guys in that game. Might have to miss one, two. I don't know how many starts he's going to miss at this point, but Maeda... Um, you know, hit pretty hard by that. They've got some options down in the minors. Louis Varland pitched well in the, in Maeda's place when Maeda had, when rested last time. Um, Bailey Ober certainly an option at some point. So I'll be curious to see how they come through this pitching wise, both in the rotation and when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the, the the bullpen and how how often those guys got worked, especially in this Red Sox series. Twins come home, part of a crazy weekend. We'll leave you with that. The Wild Wolves and Twins all playing Friday night home games. Sunday, they are also all playing home games, but they are staggered. It goes Twins, Wild, and Wolves. I think it's 1 o'clock, 5.30, 8.30. You could go to all three. Unload the savings account. It's not my money. Go ahead and do it. Who knows? Go to all three games. Have a wonderful time. Or pick a pick a couple. Pick one. You have no shortage of things to do this weekend if you are a Twins Cities sports fan. Like I said, I'll probably do a bonus podcast sometime Saturday or even late Friday, depending on how things are going, off of those game threes. And then Royce and I will have you covered on Monday, coming off of that huge Sunday of action. For now, that's all I got. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again. Later.